Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. This year, the conference is taking place June 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2020. We'll interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software projects inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Welcome to the Mac DevOps Podcast. I'm your host, Matt X. Today, JD is rocking the mic. Hey, JD. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Good. Shauna, you are there. I am. Hi. Woo! And our special guest today is Tim Sutton, Sutton, Sutton. Sorry, Tim. How's it going, Tim? Thanks for having me. It's going pretty good. So, you're in the future on the East Coast, three hours ahead. What do you see? It is it is getting dark here. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, well, yeah. thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's such a such a treat. I've known you for a couple of years now, and you've been involved in lots of different projects: um, Auto Package, uh, Monkey. Um, you've worked in a couple of different places. Uh, why don't you give us a, a short uh, overview of Tim Sutton' career? Yeah, in- sure. Um, yeah, so I, I used to work uh, at a university in, in Montreal um, doing, that was really where I really, um, that's where I sort of got my, my feet wet with uh, everything I could Mac admin related. Um, got really into Python and met a lot of, met everybody that I, I know in the community sort of through that. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, I moved over to a software company uh, called Sauce Labs, which is a, a SaaS uh, vendor for uh, automated testing used predominantly by QA teams, but also developers. Um, and I just recently uh, ended that, so I'm actually between gigs at the moment, but in a, roughly a month, uh, planning to start um, an SRE uh, gig at Square, um, which is bit of a sort of 90 degree turn for me because it'll be again actually focusing more on Mac um, working on the iOS CI infrastructure side of things there so previously I'd shifted away to something that had me doing pretty much everything and there was Mac stuff involved there but it was a lot less um, this seems like it'll be probably closer to the middle between the two and and I imagine also probably um, will reconnect me with some people in the community that I haven't worked with as much over the last couple of years. So yeah, definitely excited about that. Awesome. Awesome. We almost, we almost lost you to the QA testing site. Yeah. <laughs> now are you going to be a SRE? That's a site reliability engineer. Uh, yeah. 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 So, so that'd be working with the folks who, uh, well, just supporting the, the actual Mac infrastructure for the team that run all their automated builds and tests. Awesome. It comes around. It's almost full circle. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to be building tools or supporting their tools or? Well, I guess we're going to see what it looks like. There's already another team that sort of is an interface between the infrastructure and all the other developers that work on the iOS app side of things. And so my role would be basically to support uh, to support their infrastructure needs. Um, so it will, it will, I think, bleed 
somewhat maybe into the area of, of, uh, of the tools that they actually need to build and run for like to build a very you know, popular iOS app at a pretty large scale. Nice. It seems like a huge growth market. I mean, companies like Mac Stadium, um, sponsor of Mac DevOps, but uh, and Mac Mini before that, Mac Mini Colo, they had big, big infrastructure of Mac Minis and Macs. And you wonder why are all these Macs are people just running web servers on Macs, but people are running Xcode and it's a huge, uh, a huge business, a huge growth area where people are testing and building a whole infrastructure. Um, one company that Apple bought a few years ago that was from Vancouver that was also a sponsor, and that's how I found out about them, uh, Buddy Build, you know, building infrastructure and building a whole testing environment uh, for uh, iOS apps and trying to spin up VMs to spin up different versions of Mac OS, to spin up different versions of Xcode, to spin up different testing of their apps. And it's it was mind-boggling when I saw the the buddy build set up and uh, just to see how much uh, you know infrastructure and thinking goes through to doing this kind of testing. Um, uh, yeah, it's exciting. I can't wait to to hear more about how it goes and to learn more about how you you how you get along with that, uh, Tim. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, you've come a long way, right? You you were famous for writing a little Python script to. Uh, deal with Adobe apps. You were wondering which, which Python script I was going to mention, but uh, it seemed like that's where I think I heard about you most. You were like, wrote that tool to sort of make some useful packages for Monkey out of all these packages we could download from Adobe. Yeah, and I and managing Adobe applications, I think now is, I, it's not something that I've had the pleasure of doing uh, for a few years now, but it seems like it's uh, continually changing, right? There's completely new license schemes that I don't, fully understand and I'm, I'm actually still you know I'm I still hang out on the Mac admin slack a, a fair bit mostly just lurking these days but yeah there's definitely there's definitely lots of reasons to remain employed uh, doing this kind of thing because it's uh, it's not trivial it's maybe not the number one question in the monkey channel or monkey uh, mailing list but I see it all the time it's like I think I have monkey running but these Adobe apps what's going on <laughs> why are they so special why are they so special? Yeah. Every time I run into an application that doesn't have a nice standard package installer, I wonder why, why dear, why, why? Um, and, and then the brilliance of auto package, maybe tell us a little bit about auto package. Cause it seems like that was an insane, insane invention to deal with reconstructing, deconstructing and, and processing apps and packages. And yeah, I mean, uh, I think auto package was, well, it was an interesting kind of uh, confluence of different uh, projects and people who are interested in working on on um, just automating the tedium that goes around when you have to, when you were managing software for a large number of uh, Mac machines and you would have to do updates. Um, the idea was that at some point you would be bogged down with a number of different applications that were always getting updates all the time and um, but my own curiosity was really just that, and I think that's kind of why I, I why I ended up doing what I'm doing now is because I I just have a, uh, a an interest in sort of keeping a close eye on to how software gets built and distributed and and um, so when I was learning uh, learning Python and I was learning uh, Jenkins as well, which is a continuous integration server. Uh, I was just looking for use cases for it to automate some of that work for me. And so, but auto package um, 
was a well is a, a project that I worked on with Greg and with, with Per Olofsson um, and uh, a number of other people who sort of joined the kind of core maintainers team. Um, but then it it really grew into a much bigger ecosystem of people who uh, wanted to sort of own some automation around a particular application that they had to support, right? And then they they had the opportunity to um, do some do some digging to see how that application gets updated and get sort of the 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 satisfying experience of of watching uh, you know when that when that software vendor would publish new updates of their version, they got to enjoy seeing their automation um, you know send them some notification or an email or something that it had automatically done all of their website scraping or parsing or packaging and and distribu distribution all totally automatically so um, you know, I guess my involvement in that project diminished and, it, you know, I pretty much stopped working on a lot of this stuff when I moved to my other job um, a, a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, Greg was continuing to, to support it. And then um, uh, Nick uh, joined the core maintainers team as uh, Nick McSpadden and uh, Elliot Jordan also both joined the core maintainers team. And, and Nick and Greg, it seemed from just, again, observing from afar because I wasn't, I couldn't be, couldn't take any credit for any of what they did uh, recently, but they, they worked on migrating that completely to Python 3. Um, and Nick kind of, I think, uh, adopted a bunch of just best practices, coding standards for how to continue to contribute uh, to AutoPackage. And so I've, you know, I've lost track at this point of, of how uh, much they've worked on, but I see, you know, tons of activity um, continuing to happen with it. So uh, he's also worked on porting it to Windows. Um, I, I think that they're running it. He's already running it on Windows, but I'm not sure how much of that work is um, is open source or how much of it is, uh, you know, it's obviously more of a niche thing, I guess, for somebody who would be managing enough Windows infrastructure and also keeping a close eye on the Mac side of things. But uh, but yeah, that's sort of the auto package story. Um, I think they were, weren't, weren't they trying to work on, trying to make it work on Linux? I think that was the idea. It was like, so you could virtualize or have a server that was a Linux server instead of a Mac mini or a Mac server somewhere just to run auto package. Right. And I guess part of the issues were trying to get some of the dependencies that were Mac specific with plists or other things. Um, um, yeah, there's a lot of huge changes from Python 2 to Python 3. And then um, the next big change is Apple threatening or promising or saying perhaps no more scripting languages in the future, which means no Python, you know, perhaps. Uh, um, so yeah. that's, that's a big deal. And um, uh, I guess Greg came up with a re relocatable monkey project, which is a way of um, um, packaging Python. Um, and I think auto packages may be doing something similar. I, I haven't looked at the code exactly myself, but I heard something like that. Yeah, I actually, so I have not even looked at the latest auto package, you know, 2.x versions, but given that they did include Python 3, I'm, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that what they did was include the re relocatable Python project that Greg built, um, because what he built was really a pretty great, you know, it was intended to just be a drop-in replacement, uh, you know, Python framework that the whole, the whole point of it was that it's portable enough that you can really just drop this framework into any 
any place I think you want on the file system. Uh, and as long as you have, as long as you can refer to that in your code, either by a path or through some symlink, um, then you sort of solve the whole problem of, well, what if Apple, well, A, what if you need to use Python 3 because uh, Python 2.7 is, is on, uh, what do they, I think they extended, like the, they'll do their, their last maintenance release in April, but it's effectively end of life already. So a lot of the more popular uh, uh, Python packages and dependencies are probably not really going to support Python 2 if they've, you know, they've either dropped support already or it's probably going to happen very soon. So, um, so either you wanted to get onto Python 3 just to get ahead of things, uh, or if you're trying to just get ahead of the situation when uh, Apple will release a Mac OS version that doesn't include Python at all, and you want to sort of have your ducks in a row before that happens, so that way your um, this transition is smoother for you. Yeah, it seems like the first uh, group that I ever heard dealing with this uh, sort of portable Python or portable dependencies was the Mac Ops team talking about their monkey sort of infrastructure, where they said, "Oh yeah, we ship our own Python, we ship our own Ruby," or they were shipping a couple different things and because I think they were doing Puppet and Monkey. Puppet would install Monkey, Monkey would install Puppet, and they would ship their own dependencies. And um, it seemed like an obvious solution, but not really easy for anybody. So now, mm -hmm. thanks to, to the relocatable Python product, that's certainly uh, going to be a little bit easier. Um, though I heard that some people are having trouble deploying Monkey with MDM now, because if you can't sign the Python <laughs> framework or project with it, then you can't send it with it, because um, the uh, projects have to be signed. Um, right. And if you have multiple binaries for multiple different sources, it's a whole bunch of fun. Thanks, Apple, but security. Um, so I don't know if that's completely solved. I, I know I'm not there yet. Usually my computers have Monkey already, but yeah, you know, what's what's chicken and egg, right? Which which one's first, MDM Monkey? Are you deploying your Monkey with M? Yeah. Anyway, it's mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a new future uh, for managing and deploying Macs in the uh, out there in the field uh, wherever they are. Um, yeah. I'm always interested to try to understand what are the different uh, cases where, yeah, shipping your own uh, full Python runtime, like to just to understand what, what cases that breaks down, right? And if it's sort of like from what you're describing, I think it, it seems like often these days the issue comes down to, uh, okay, like you'll, Apple will let you do this, but... Um, you're going to need to be able to like the it's going to have to be a signed binary, for example, right? So yeah, I mean, I started uh, notarizing and started signing. I mean, I started signing a little while ago because I build occasional little tiny apps, nothing very complicated at all, but tiny tiny workflow tools or tiny apps for clients, and I've been signing them. And then then all of a sudden now it's like you, if you're not deployed by Monkey or some other root agent, you have to have them notarized. So I started, you know. Pulling my hair out for notarization, so getting them signed, then notarized. Um, but um, it's pretty funny. Uh, but I, uh, I actually only sent out my first binary with MDM yesterday because I've been doing all my de deployment with Monkey up until now, and I've been so spoiled. And then finally, mm -hmm. uh, somebody wanted to work from home, and uh, I couldn't remote in, and I couldn't uh, they couldn't do anything. So I was like, oh well, they already have MDM as well because I have that on there. So oh, I'll send a. a uh, you know, a package through MDM. Okay, well, it has to be signed. No problem. Oh, it has to be in a certain archive, product archive, uh, distribution style package. And there's so many different names for these packages. I was confused. I had the right format, but I didn't know it because there's two or, two or three ways of calling it. And 
it's it was a bit of a mess but yeah i just literally deployed and i'm like oh okay that's nice but mdm just says okay now we're installing it but it doesn't say doesn't check and see if it's done because <laughs> mdm is not like you know a, a configuration management tool it's not like puppet or or chef or it's not like even like monkey doesn't just you know make sure it's installed just sends the command <laughs> so right. so i'm like calling the, the 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 client is it installed i don't even know if it is but did i sent it <laughs> does it work <laughs> It's the UDP of protocols. <laughs> uh, no response required. Just send it. Yeah, send the packet. Um, so, yeah, uh, we look forward to changes, improvements, and feature requests being accepted into the MDM spec. Haha. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's why that's why I've always had a I've always had an interest in in seeing what other solutions are out there. Um, and that was that was a, one of the kind of possible themes of what I was hoping to to talk about at the conference um, was, you know, just that one is the question of, you know, that there's lots of advantages to to continuing to write tools in Python uh, because of how many people in this space. I mean, besides the fact that Python is definitely growing continually and in popularity, right? It it there was a while I think we're Ruby seemed like it was going to be the the more interesting thing, and and I think actually it's kind of at Python. I think seems to have kind of won out in terms of popularity and different kinds of applications. And so it's been good that the community has been sort of building up some Python interest over like a number of years. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it was big in visual effects when I was there, and right. it came into more and more applications. Like it was in a bunch of three D apps, and um, and I went to the Python conference uh, and it was all data scientists it was all university trained data scientists and i suppose this machine learning is a fancy word of using you know saying i'm writing stuff in python um but yeah it seems like python is huge it's big scientists and and uh yeah the mac admins community has definitely been huge and we've been encouraging people to learn it for years and i'm still still working on it but <laughs> yeah i guess just the thing with python is that it it's always funny when you you take what would be sort of the standard practice for somebody developing in Python or, you know, extend that to even to other languages. Like if you look at JavaScript and Node or something, and I think probably 95 of the use cases is like you can follow a pretty typical formula and you can package something really easily to go onto, uh, I don't know, a, a Docker image or, or a Heroku app or, or something where there's like a formula that you just follow and all of your stuff will install okay. But I find that when you then take you want to run the same kind of thing on a Mac, and then it's like suddenly it gets very complicated. Uh, you're either you know you're using the one that happens to come on Mac OS, but like there's one or two issues with it, or you can't install your new stuff on it, or then we get into this kind of funny situation now where uh, Apple won't even have it there on the OS. So on one hand, it makes it harder to kind of bootstrap a system from scratch if you really depend on it, but then I guess on the upside, it probably have fewer people getting confused when they're like trying to run something with Python or Ruby. And it's like, there's going to be no confusion of whether you're using the system one or not, at least. It's definitely an excuse for me for a few years. I was like, should I use Python? Well, there's this Python two to Python three migration, which is going on for like 10 years and we'll see what happens, <laughs> but it's still going on. <laughs> it's still going on. Yeah. Hopefully Python three. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, We've not had any guidance from Apple on, you know, if we want to roll our own, where should those 
applications be, right? They've they've done that for other things where here's your pictures folder, here's, you know, particular places to put these things that they expect and others would expect to find had no guidance. Yeah. You want guidance from Apple? <laughs> I'd like a roadmap from Apple, but I'm... I don't dreaming. use the R word. <laughs> <laughs> They've been doing well with writing some documentation, but yeah, roadmaps or direction, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it has been interesting, like when I... The thing that that I, I always think of when I um, when I think about what's their sort of approach for, you know, what admins will be able to do on on machines like in the coming years, because there's always a lot of fear that people have around, well, like at some point I'm not going to be able to like run my management tools at all, right? Or like, is this stuff going to be just completely not allowed? Um, and, you know, who knows exactly what's going to happen, but I when they had the session last year at WWDC, which I believe was the session where they, um, they went through, I think it was like the security of your Mac OS applications. And it was the one where they went into, I think some of the, the TCC stuff and, and uh, uh, notarization related things. But anyway, what they, they had this one slide that said like, you'll always be able to run any, any code you want on your Mac. Right. And it was like a, big slide that just had that one sentence on it. Um, and so the idea it sounded like was that, you know, if you're a developer, for example, uh, there's always going to be some supported way to do what you need to do. Now, I guess the question is like, yeah, if you bring your own, <laughs> how much of that is going to, yeah. How much will, will that also kind of carry over to people who are trying to manage them and at a bigger scale. So, um, so I, I it seems to me like, there will maybe still be ways, but like it's just a question of how many hoops might you have to jump through in order to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, root agents get a, have a pass on the notarization, so a lot of packages can just go and be installed by Monkey and Jam for whatever other root agent you want, or even just in the command line. I think you know, um, um, so it seems like a pretty good pass. Um, it's, you have to notarize an app if you deliver it to your users in another way. Um, but yeah, it's, it gets more and more challenging deploying and managing computers and everybody has MDM now and that's a new thing. And, um, you know, I saw somebody recently asking questions about deploying monkey and, you know, Amazon S3, which, you know, more and more people are deploying in Amazon and deploying in, in the cloud. And <clears throat> it's kind of like the whole reason I came up with Mac DevOps is that, you know, we're running, I'm still running servers on Mac minis. I'm still running XM. We're still, some of us are still running some infrastructure on site, but more and more, you know, it's been like five, six years, you can see things moving to the cloud and moving to other people's data centers, moving where there's people working from home and people are working everywhere. So maybe you have multiple offices, so you have to suddenly, your infrastructure has to to uh, extend over that time. And so we're all in this boat together, learning all these new techniques and sharing from each other. And uh, uh, it's been great having everybody come together. Um, I've, you know, we've come to the conference a couple of years now, Tim, and it's been awesome. And uh, I think was it last year you were attending, not speaking? Was that that was yeah. a different experience? Was, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was. Uh, I think only I think I've only missed one year so far. Um, yeah, and it was nice to to just sit back and not stress over preparing anything to, to uh, talk about for once. 
but it's totally not stressful uh, to present uh, just to tell not a, not in any way no 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 I mean it's it's totally fun anyone can do it um, I mean Shauna you were up on stage last year yeah and this is the perfect crowd to be on stage in front of because everybody's so cool so um, this will be my first year also spectating and not being on stage um, behind the scenes still still working but behind the scenes that's all <laughs> so, yes. Oh, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome to have everybody together again. Um, um, I look forward to you giving a talk. Um, I almost should ask you to give a talk on working from home. When you stopped working at Concordia and you went to Sauce Labs, Tim, you went to, you left Montreal, you left the city, but you went into the, you know, and you, were, you went to your work from home office. How was that transition work, you know, moving from going into an office, commuting maybe and yeah, home? And that was a big change. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a big change for me although like what, what was kind of funny about it was that when I was working at the university I still felt like I very much had a sort of remote work um, uh, I guess collaboration system with a lot of the folks that I would work with in the community on on things so I you know I would I would come into work and and, and work with my my coworkers to an extent right but for to get the work done but then I really also felt like I was checking in with a lot of people online and sort of spending a lot of time before we had Slack, it was in IRC, um, you know, really? so like you know, good morning, you know, and you come in and wave good, wave good night when you go home. So, um, so for me, remote work really just sort of suited my, uh, my, my style already. I guess I, I sort of had found that I, it worked out well that way. And I found that when I would, travel and actually come into the office um, and you know tech companies seem like they're almost all like this but having an open office uh, set up on one hand I can see where it helps for collaboration and communication but I, I also just found I always found it very distracting and hard to focus in those kinds of spaces and probably partly that I'm just not used to it right but um, yeah for me it seemed like remote work just also maybe suited my particular style where uh, I benefit from just being able to, I, I can work asynchronously and keep Slack open and keep conversations going as long as I can sort of, you know, not try to over multitask, but um, just, I found having just literally, you know, the physical barrier <laughs> between, uh, the, you know, a network and a screen um, pretty helpful. And also given that it's so easy now to get onto a video call with anybody, you know, in an impromptu way. So it, it mm -hmm. ideally shouldn't be a barrier to somebody being able to access you if they, if they need to, it just might be that it just means they, you know, they can't come up to your, they can't just walk up to you and, and distract you from what you're doing right that very moment. But, you know, um, but what, what was interesting for, for me to see was that um, when uh when my previous company had started to jump for to everybody working from home, um, I was noticing, it was just interesting for me to see other people's reactions and observations to how they were finding it uh, to work from home versus in their office. And, and I did realize how important it is to still set up some kind of a pace for yourself and to set up, um, 
you know, definitely take your lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Really try not to eat at the computer. Uh, If you can like set a pretty regular time that you're going to like take, you know, your time that you're going to take for lunch and let folks know that you're away so that you're not feeling pressured to suddenly, you know, if you're, what I found was being remote, there'd be sort of a fear where it's like, well, what if somebody needs to be able to get me and I'm not going to be answering, like, are they going to be mad or they're going to, you know, people will be thinking like, oh, well, they're going to think that I'm not working, right? Or they're thinking that I'm just goofing off because I get to work from home or whatever. So that would, I think that was sometimes the voice that would go on in my head. And I think sometimes other people would have a similar, similar fears, right? But I think if you set, you set up the expectations and then really just, like, I think, you know, we were talking earlier about like, well, if you're working from home, some people end up just replacing their commute with more work, you know, so it's like, hey, this is great. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to leave home at eight in the morning anymore. But instead, what you do is you sit at your dining room table with your laptop and your coffee, and you just start working (laughs) at eight. Um, And so I noticed that I'd been definitely falling into that trap. um, Even just like since I moved offices out here where I am, where I rent one, Uh, when I moved to an office that didn't have quite as nice access to just like nice walking areas nearby, like it meant that I was getting out less. And so what I was noticing, I was like, I'm always getting, feeling kind of tired and burned out when I get home. Um, Even though I'm lucky enough to have a commute just on foot that separates me, like just physically and gives me some, like a kind of a transition between home and work. But um but uh, yeah, what I was noticing was that other coworkers who were switching to working from home, like a, lo- a number of people were saying like, hey, I'm noticing I'm really like tired or my eyes are sore or like I've, people were over scheduling Zoom meetings um, to try to make up for the lack of in office presence. But then people were like, I'm burned out, like looking at people through Zoom all day. Like I'm, I can't, so I, it was like people were sort of like loading their plates more full than they would at the office where they would have a bunch of just, you know, office chat or lunches and they had more just automatic yeah. things that would, that would just, they would give them the side benefit of helping them like pace themselves. And so when I heard people reacting that way, I was like, ah, oh, actually that explains, <laughs> explains a bunch of things that I could be doing better now. Um, so that was actually pretty. Yeah. We need more uh, reminders or alerts on our Apple watch. I mean, for tech workers or people that work in it, or if you're sitting a lot at your computer, having a watch that tells you to stand up every hour sounds less ridiculous because, you know, occasionally when, you know, you get into it, you know, you could be sitting at your computer for hours without getting up. Maybe it's trying to figure out how to install something. Maybe it's, you're writing the Python program. Maybe you're just trying to figure out something and you're stuck and you could be there for hours. And, and yeah, if you're in Slack or other discussions all day or, constantly reloading your Twitter feed or something, uh, you know, you, you, your watch telling you to get up at least once an hour. And it's important to go for a walk or get some fresh air or uh, making sure that that line between work and, and life is, you know, keeping the lines completely clear and making sure they're not blurred is really important to you. Um, I noticed that like when I'm working from home, I tend to like, like he said, fill the commute with more work. But what I started doing was taking bike rides or going outside and that kind of helped. Um, so remote work can be, <laughs> can, can have its own special set of challenges. So I, I feel you on that. <laughs> Maybe uh, uh, we all need comfort animals, cats or dogs or. Uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, dogs help. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I would say that if you have the, if you are, you know, looking at working from home or, you know, maybe you are, whether it's your choice or not at the moment, but, you know, in the future or for a future role, if you have the option to still get a space that's definitely either dedicated in your house, like a separate room, but it, even if you, if you don't, in my case, you know, I live in a smaller town where, where the rent is more affordable. So it's, it's feasible to actually rent um, an office that I share with a bunch of other folks who, you know, don't work for the same company, but who are just in a similar situation as I am. If you can have that option or help, or, you know, ask your company to help um, subsidize that for you, because as a remote worker, you're saving them a bunch of money by not being in an office, maybe not from eating some of the food they might be giving, depending <laughs> on on how your company does that. So, if you know, it, it, there's definitely I think room to negotiate getting some getting some of your your costs subsidized, just because the if the whole point is for you to be happier and healthier and better at your job, then it seems like you know if someone can kick in a little bit extra each month to just help you get the working space that works for you, that seems like pretty pretty good good deal on both sides. Mm -hmm. And being able to share space with others, right, helps with that not feeling isolated, not feeling right. like you need to overschedule video chats and things like that so you don't feel alone all day. Yeah, it meets the helps you meet the quota of number of people that you see in the real world a day. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some people where they, they go from working in the office to you know, moving a couple hours out of town and then they're like, I haven't left my house in five days except to go and, you know, get the mail. <laughs> so, yeah. The neighbor said he was very quiet, kept to himself. <laughs> and then one day. <laughs> yeah. I had one quick question. I mean, when you're working on Auto Package and other programs like that, I mean, Thanks to things like GitHub, it's made a lot easier. But how would you approach that working in a team? Um, you're working on a project. Uh, how do you collaboratively work on code together? Um, does that does that work well, or is there road bumps, roadblocks? <laughs> uh, well, I what we tended to do at Sauce Labs was, uh, and it depended really on you know the people and the on the project. But teams would often just pair together on a problem. Um, so you'd have, you know, two people, or it could be the whole, it could be more people, um, just, you know, debugging something together. But even if it was working on, on a piece of code, um, we often found that if you had two people together on zoom and uh, different solutions, like some, some will let you, you know, for everybody to share their screen at once, which is a bit better because then that way you can be looking, you can easily switch between your own screen and someone else's. I think Zoom doesn't really let you do that right now, but uh, but either way, if one person can be showing the person what they're looking at and they're like, okay, well, here's a section of the code that I'm looking at for doing this. And like, that was a pretty common thing that we would do as like a, as a collaborative process. But I guess beyond that, uh, just, like I think it's just, just if you're in the Mac open source community and you're, you want to contribute to auto package or something, I mean, what's the, what's the procedure like for somebody to contribute like in, in our community? Right. Well, I, I think some people might start by actually, yeah, I would say that the best thing is I think always to first like approach somebody 
to talk about what you'd like to do. If it's something that, if like, if you were working on something and you think, hey, well, this could be like a good feature that I would want to actually um, get, you know, merged back in, or it's like I'd want to contribute and share with others. Um, you can obviously go and, and work on it completely in isolation, and then you can submit, you know, a, a pull request um, or or an email or something to somebody who would have, um, you know, the capacity to review it. But I've noticed also sometimes, and I did this especially when starting out, is sometimes I would write something, and it would seem maybe kind of obvious to me that you would want to merge it, but then I'd realize, oh, like actually, you know, maybe the tool, the maintainer of this tool doesn't really necessarily want it to do that, right? Or they don't want to have the responsibility to maintain that feature basically in perpetuity, which is usually what this means, right? Some people will write a feature to do the one, to scratch their one itch, and then, you know, that person is sort of maintaining it forever. So uh, it's always, it never hurts, right, to just reach out and first talk about what you're thinking of doing. And then the, the process beyond that can always be that people can chat about it asynchronously as they're working on it. Somebody can, with Git, you, you always have the ability to create, a, branching is free, so you can always make as many different development branches as you want for a project. You know, if you, if you end up going down a rabbit hole that doesn't work out well in one branch, you can, somebody can always help you sort of revert that into, uh, you know, from a particular point in time into like a new branch that they can work on, you know? So I think it's, for some people, it can be the process of even just learning, learning Git as sort of a collaborative tool. Um, I find that that's not something that I find at companies like, maybe there's a bit of an assumption that you know how to do that, um, you know, at software companies, but a lot of folks just, you know, learn it as they go. So working when in the working on something in the community, is definitely like a good way to, to like get that practice in uh, and learn what it's like, learn how that works. But I, I find once you get over the, the usability challenges of Git, which there's always some, um, yeah. then the process can be can be totally asynchronous, right? So you can you can have a chat with somebody over Slack back and forth. It can be in an in an open room, like in, in an open space, or it can be privately, really you know, depending on what that room is kind of intended to be used for, and then people can go back and forth and make comments, you know. So I guess the combination of of Slack or some kind of chat tool and yeah, and places like GitHub, you know, make it pretty easy. I would just say that, yeah, it's unfortunate if somebody goes and does tons of work on something and then what they produce, maybe because it's their first time doing a thing like this. Yeah. It, well, you know, it's, it, it could it'd be, you wouldn't want it to be demotivating for somebody to, to submit a big pull request. And then, the, you know, if the person maybe has to say like, well, it depends on how much the maintainer sort of has the time or interest to be able to work with you on getting it into the format that they want. And it just might be that depending on if there's too much of a divergence between those two people's, you know, either opinions or what they want, then, uh, so it's always like, it never really, I would say it never hurts to initially yeah. just reach out if you're interested in working on something. I mean, Everyone for smaller, smaller things, like I was working on the monkey report plugin and I was talking with a bunch of people in the Slack channel and then they were like, uh, can you just post it on GitHub and then we'll look at it. It's just way easier than just chatting about, you know, me trying to phrase things. And then they're like, oh, okay. I mean, here's a pull request to fix what you had because you were maybe close to something good or here's some changes. And 
seemed like I was, it's always very impressed to just a very simple aspect of Git or GitHub or even GitLab is that you can share a project, someone can grab a copy of it, make some changes, submit the changes to you. Um, and it seems like it's, it's, it's still mind blowing and almost magical that it works and <laughs> that you can work yeah. together on stuff and, and work on code and just for very simple things. Um, yeah, as, as, as challenging as Git can be to work with, I'm glad that it's, I'm glad it hasn't been replaced by something else that now we all have to learn. <laughs> Cause I spent, I don't know, yeah, 10 years getting good at Git, so. <laughs> Uh, I think it's replaced a bunch of other things that people used to use. I mean, what are you what are you learning in school now, uh, Shauna? You're uh, you're you're studying. Uh, is it a master's program? Uh, yes, I am actually. There's a whole lot of policy writing involved in this degree, <laughs> so um, I did a fair amount of um, uh, writing. It's mostly writing <laughs> right now, anyway. Um, for the class I'm taking. And then I did like an intro to programming course, which I passed with an A, y'all. No more Woo! Java for now. But no version control? You were doing Java, but you're, you, you guess, were you learning Git or anything like that too, or just? No, it was just mostly making small programs and um, it wasn't terribly complicated, but uh, I realized that I will need to get better at whatever language I do decide to continue coding with. Um, so that's that's been a, a a gradual a gradual change in in what I've learned so far, um, and learning to integrate what I learn into my work, which is um, becoming uh, increasingly uh, complicated <laughs> as we as we change and as we do things um, in my current position. So we didn't have such like a a big Mac fleet when I got here, but it's quickly scaled to um, about forty or so devices. Um, so we've doubled since I've been here and that's been less than a year and they're expecting that like before the end of this year, we'll have doubled again. So up to 80 by then. So I'm trying to, trying to make sure that we're in a position to, to, to grow, um, in a way that, um, that's sustainable and, and that kind of thing. So that's where we're at. So do you have any advice for people that are just starting their career or, um, people who are just getting, um, you know, more acquainted with the work? I mean, from my experience, really, like the, the, the best, uh, the, thing that's, that, the thing that worked well for me was really to just find the, you know, whatever it is that you're the most interested in. Um, and if you can carve out time to just do more of that one particular thing and Sometimes that's not something that you can necessarily do, you know, for the job that you were hired for. But I found that all the things that I spent uh, some time on just sort of noodling with either, you know, stealing time away from the job where I could or on the side or in evenings or whenever. Um, or, or, you know, the best case was you would do it for the job so that you can, you know, so that you have a use case for it, but you can, you're sort of doing a much more, maybe enthusiastic, you know, or deep dive than you would have necessarily to, to get a particular task accomplished for, for your job, but maybe you were doing it, you know, to learn something new. So I just found that really going all in on the stuff that I found the most interesting um, and then just sharing that with other people was really what, what worked for me. So, um, you know, and, and that was really just, that was how I wound up, 
meeting so many great people, you know, who, and it really in the end, like building a network is such an incredibly valuable thing to have um, that, you know, if you, if you can be part of, of projects and conferences or meetup groups and, you know, once I really think that it's like about putting yourself out there and, and really just going after the things that are the most interesting to you. And Even, hint, hint, going to Mac DevOps, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it all, uh, well it, done. It was, it was created to get everybody that's, you know, do, doing the sharing and doing the, the learning and we're all learning together. And just to highlight uh, a focus on the people writing scripts and working to contribute to projects that are out there in the community and um, hopefully helping everybody learn about them and how to contribute, how to learn Git, how to demystify some of these new ways of doing things that were. Um, and I appreciate everything you've given to the community, Tim. You're, you're an awesome, kind soul. Well, likewise, I mean, I'm just, I'm happy that you guys keep doing this conference because it's been, it's been like such a, it's been a great group of people and I enjoyed watching it evolve too, right? It's, it's been different every year and always um, always just a great bunch of people. I mean, I mean, when I started the conference, yeah, it's like when you don't know your limits, you, you can go further than you think. And when you're really ignorant sometimes, um, yeah, you can just, yeah, how hard could it be to organize a conference? <laughs> you don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, every year there's always new challenges with this conference, that's for sure. Um, every year, different challenges. Um, yeah, adulting is never over. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's something. That that right there is something. Yeah, I'm trying to explain to my kids, you know, that uh, you know, there's always things to do, and uh, you know, it's never over. And, and I hate to tell say that my dad had one good thing, but he always told me, you know, it beats the alternative, son. You know, it's like you're alive, so just whatever. <laughs> that's <laughs> just <true>. like <laughs> you're just lucky to be alive. You're lucky to be alive, kid. <laughs> And I think we find a lot of meaning in the things that we do every day. Also, I think like, I, I, I don't even want to know what it would be like to not have any responsibility. You know, yeah, that'd I'm... be so boring. But it sounds nice, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It sounds nice. Yeah. It sounds like a vacation, but, but that's yeah. how we think of it. It's great for like two weeks. Yeah. I mean, this is why I'm jealous of like the, the 18, 19 year olds are just starting off in their career because they don't have any of those responsibilities. They're not, you know, not trying to get things done and seemingly have all these hours to pump into projects. Now, yeah. Like, I mean, I was remoting in with one of my clients and I couldn't install something with monkey and they'd taken the computer home and I was like, how do I get this package installed? And I'm like, Oh, I can do it with MDM. And then I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And this woman's like staring at me and she's like, is it, are you enjoying this? I'm like, I am. I don't know how to do this and I'm going to figure it out right now. And it's going to be live. And I'm like checking a help page and I'm like looking online and I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. You're going to see, I'm going to figure something out very soon. <laughs> sometimes right away and sometimes a little bit later, but you know, we, we, we figure things out every day and that's all we can do. And But those um, moments tend to be the ones that give us like, you know, the meaning, right? Like, mm. There's something I didn't know, but I accomplished. I, I was able to figure that out. I was able to accomplish that. So even with like the fact that like we all have to do all of these things all of the time, <laughs> there's still some great stuff that comes out of it. I think. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. a feeling of accomplishment. I mean, doing the dishes every day doesn't feel less like an accomplishment, but it's definitely a necessity. <laughs> yeah, I heard on the radio that somebody 
beat some Guinness Book World Record. It was like fist pumping for 17 hours straight or something. It's <laughs> <laughs> a hell of a rave. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, need more of those drugs. Okay. <laughs> Mood. Yeah. On that note, thank you, Tim. Thank you, yeah, Shauna. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, JD. Yeah, no, thanks for doing this. This was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. I want to thank our amazing sponsors from MacDevOps YVR 2020. Uh, we couldn't do it without your help and support. Our platinum sponsor, Mac Stadium, thank you so much. You helped us last year. You're helping us this year. You're just amazing people to work with. Our gold sponsor, Sauce Labs from Vancouver, uh, thank you so much. Uh, your support means a lot to us. And uh, Simple MDM, our silver sponsor this year. Every year you've been sponsoring us. Uh, thank you so much. Huge shout out to all three. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and co-hosts. Mac DevOps podcast is a brainchild of Matt X and Chris Johnson. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. Takes a village, right? Yeah, to raise an idiot. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>